0: Insurance Unplugged is sponsored by Expert.ai. Expert.ai offers AI-enabled solutions that save time, cut costs, and improve outcomes for insurance companies by extracting critical information from documents for faster, better, and more consistent decisions. Expert.ai's enterprise AI platform for insurance powers solutions from underwriting to claims with unmatched accuracy, flexibility, and scale. Welcome. To another episode of Insurance Unplugged, Season 2 AI in the City series. We have a special guest with us today, Paul Bessere from Coterie Insurance. He's the CTO. So now we're going to get to get real, real. Cause you know, Paul, we've got, we've had the innovation heads on here. We've had the data leads on here. We've talked about all the magical things that can happen. And now we get to talk to you about How does the technology hang together? So couldn't be more excited to have you here so we can break down the hype. And thank you for agreeing to be in the hot seat. First of all, if you would introduce yourself and give a background of your role and also just what are, what are you all doing that's like, you know, unique and innovative at Coterie?
1: Sure. Uh, so Coterie itself is a, a small commercial MGA. We were f- hyper-focused on the micro-commercial space, uh, over 85% of our policies for BOPS, GLs, professional liability, you know, insurance um, over 85 percent of them are one to five person companies so think a lot of side hustles a lot of home-based businesses and then restaurants and contractors and everything that everybody tends to see margin in but is afraid of for multiple reasons uh, <laughs> one because risk always exists with everything and uh, two because there isn't a total, whole lot of margin uh, especially when you think of it from the agents perspective uh, but coterie aims to add speed simplicity service uh, to uh, small commercial insurance from the perspective of making things as easy on the agent as possible and yet yeah. still do insurance right. Um, and so it's an insure tech that's trying to learn from our predecessors to, to make sure that we get all of the components of it right. Uh, my specific role, so... Um, I don't really have an insurance background like a hundred years ago or 20, if we're actually counting. I worked for, uh, Western Southern Financial Group for and wore a suit every day as an intern as after my freshman year of college. And ever since then, I've worked in startups and I, I know you can't all see me, but I'm wearing a polo and I don't have a hat on. And that's rare for me. So I've been in startups wearing shorts and, uh, and t-shirts and, and, uh, adding predictive analytics and, and applying technology and data. Uh, to various industries, actually, most of that was in sports. And what I found, and what I was always very conscious of, uh, when when looking at you know various industries and what I was doing in the sports world, is that um, especially in the commercial insurance space, I think personal lines is a little bit further ahead. But especially in the commercial insurance space, what was happening in sports, which was you know a, this meritocracy where data had existed for a hundred years and it was its very culturally yeah. relevant and you have immediate responses. There's gains every single day. What was happening there 20 years ago is just now happening here. And it's a perfect opportunity in this commercial insurance space. It's a perfect opportunity for me to kind of take the same perspectives and the things that I learned that worked and apply them now. Um, I've served in both the chief data officer role and now in the chief technology officer role. And there's kind of two things that will, I have used to say they're going to end up on my gravestone that are always going to apply (laughs) thinking. Two things that I, I will always think about and they're perfectly aligned with where we currently are today and what we're trying to do. It's find the so what, Nothing in data matters without context or application. So actually leveraging data and technology to solve the problem and understanding the impact that you're having and solving the problem is more important than just having data or having technology, even if you're trying to be theoretically innovative with it. And of course that applies to yeah. AI as kind of the the next kind of wave of thinking of how, how we're going to leverage things. I used to say this all the time, that like 85% of my job in sports was telling people that like Michael Jordan was good at basketball. Some things are pretty obvious, like and, <laughs> and it's okay,
0: although <laughs> but, he did get cut from his high school basketball well, yeah, team fair. for me. He's
1: good good <laughs> and he's. <doing> good. <laughs> Exactly. Good in his later years. But my point on that is like some things like no matter how deep you dive, like, yeah. existing process, the existing approach works. But where is that other, you know, uh, some people call it the 2%. Some people call it 10%, 15%, whatever it is. Where can you really work to improve things leveraging um, uh, data and technology and the intersection of those things is where I'm, I'm, I'm hyper-focused and where we're, we're making strides with Codery. I would add to that then as well, the other thing, and that is that <laughs> automation is the key to scale. Um, in my sports world, uh, I never—I I, I ran a few companies and was part of some others, uh, and, and, and was a consultant for a while. Never worked with a company nearly as large as what Coterie is. Coterie has 80 million in premium, 150 employees. We've raised over 100 million dollars now at this point. Really exciting. I never had more than 10, and we still were able to accomplish uh, predicting outcomes of over 100,000 events every year. And so the point on that is thinking about how to be as efficient as possible um, is really the key to what we're trying to accomplish now in, 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 in Coterie and the key to, to, to leveraging doing the so what and, and really getting the intersection of data technology right.
0: Well, I love this. So, so before we dive into insurance even sure. further, I've got to back it up to sports for just a minute on one very like interesting level. Cause you and I've never had this conversation before today. Um, the one role that I looked at taking in between when I departed Munich re and before I went to work at startups and farmers and all these things was I um, interviewed and was going to work for the NBA. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, the, i i ended up not taking the role and but interestingly and you may already know this fall I don't know how much of our listeners know this but the nba operations so like the um rules and the analytics and the operations are actually run by many ex insurance executives and so so like i i thought that was fascinating because I was like why are they calling me to like to recruit me to interview for this role and I was like my husband, you know, is like, you know, the least about basketball when he first lined up. And, um, but, but the funny thing is, is I, and of course we all know moneyball and baseball, you know, like actuarial science applied that very few people know. I mean, clearly now we would see this. This would have been yeah. back in 2018, 2019. How much of sports is fueled on, to your point, getting to the so what, telling the story that may not be the obvious story. So I, I love that, and and I think that's such a interesting connectivity. So now I have to ask you, and your role in sports was it with the NBA or what? Uh, what
1: Great question. I worked. No, (laughs) I did. um, I I predicted. I worked in predicting the NBA. My master's thesis, and you know, we had. the word data science the word ai none of this really existed i guess to some degree probably people used it but it wasn't a common term twenty yeah. some years ago when i was going to grad school but uh, my master's thesis was in was in how, what how to optimize lineups and how to what players should be on the same, on the court at the same time basically yeah in the nba and I um,
0: love that I yeah. had no idea that before this conversation
1: exactly. one of one of the really interesting things, and this is such an important tenet to me of of, of how we're approaching commercial insurance and it, it applies to like telematics and um, in sports uh, it's really kind of like advanced analytics um, in two thousand so I, I started my career in sports in two thousand four, so I wrote this thesis back in 03 or four somewhere in that range. Um, Mm -hmm. Every piece of information that I was using at the time and every piece of information I used in my career from 2004 to 2019 was publicly available information that was in a box score. The most basic information that for the most part in basketball has been kept since the 70s, aside from the three-point line, but still, like, most of it had been kept for 40, 50 years at that point. Um, Or... Baseball, it's it's the same same stuff. Like I love to tell people, like I know I know with reasonable certainty what happened when the eighteen ninety-seven Cleveland Spiders played the Brooklyn bridegrooms and Kid Cupid hit a triple. Like I know that. And that was hundred and forty to thirty some years ago. And so what's interesting is like the most basic information still was our best method of predicting like the yeah. outcomes until at least 15 to 20 years after like advanced data, advanced data, like spin rates of baseballs or chips and shoulder pads for football or the cameras that they have at basketball. It wasn't until very, very recently that people even figured out how to harness that information. And the reason yeah. that's directly relevant to insurance is I, I tell people start with the box score. The most we, I don't feel incredibly confident this, and again, I'm only talking through the lens of commercial insurance, but yeah. So I don't mean this to apply to everything. Though. I think
0: that's I'm, fair, that, I'm Yeah, sure I, I, I think I'm sure true, people yeah. will make
1: correlations, but just to clarify, I, I, I don't, th- I don't have confidence that we've gotten the box score right. Meaning, like the most most critical pieces of information, and to me, that's what does a company do, how big are they, what are the risks associated with where they're located. Those three things, like, that's the box score. Like, that's not difficult information necessarily to find or approximate or get close to. And I don't have strong confidence that the industry has really gotten that right in assessing what true risk looks like for a a policy.
0: And I I totally agree with you, by the way. Um, And and this is like this – ebb and flow or pull and push that we have between and you know i'd love to know your view on it from kind of being like in the trenches and by the way both my parents ran a small business i'm a huge advocate of small commercial like i grew up you know with you know like again you know when your parents own their own business you have a deeper even appreciation for commercial and, and how we serve the communities that we're in i i wonder like How do we, 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 because we didn't have the appreciation for the, what's the box score because we didn't have the statistics and the recording of the box score to your point. It's like we were putting people into, I call it like predefined boxes and predefined journeys that they didn't actually belong on. And then we came into these worlds where we're like, we're going to personalize this and that and the other, and all we were still doing and pardon me to all the UX, CX people, we were still forcing people into predefined box scores that their actual, you could say their, their risk DNA actually didn't fit in because we couldn't come up at the time with a true definition of their box. As opposed we were putting them into somebody else's box. How do you think about that? Cause when you said it, it was just like, I have this debate with people all the time and I have it about customer journey. I have it about analytics. I have it about risk scoring, risk charging. I'm like, if you really want to be personalized, understand that you don't have a pre-configured box. Yep. You have to actually go out and get their box, you know, and and that would be the difference in my mind.
1: Yeah, it's uh, wow you you and I couldn't be more aligned, and and this is exactly how I think. I think about this every day. I think about this. This is this is sort of part of the nuance that I think is makes makes what we're doing effective, and it allows us to have and kind of the proven. Loss ratio path that we have thus far. We've we've been in existence for five years. Been writing Bops and, and GLs for about three years now. And um, I, I hate to. Uh, at some point, we p- will stop making the direct correlations between sports and insurance. But I want to. I want to talk about kind of the big breakthrough. Oh I
0: no, had. I'm
1: liking this. Uh, okay, <laughs> I want to talk about the big breakthrough I had in sports and what made what we were doing different. So um, I, I use simulation analysis, and uh, the, I used to tell people. I still tell people this all the time. Anything, even if things have not ever happened ever, they can still be predicted. And the best example is a sporting event. You know, you, we'll use the NBA right. as an example. Like the uh, the the Bucks and the Celtics played last night. In the example that in in in, in our, our our world that we're living in as of today, when we're recording this, and it you know. The starting five was healthy-ish for the Celtics, but some of their bench players weren't good. The Bucks had were at full health. Um, you know, there was a certain you know crowd was in a certain position. the The day was the day that it was, and those teams and those players and those conditions had never quite all competed against each other in that exact scenario. Yeah. And yet, we know the pieces of all of those things. And we have a general sense of what's going to happen when those all interact together. But we have to know the independent individual outcome or individual components of the pieces of what's going to come together to really understand what happens when they do. And the reason um, that was th- that's related to the kind of the breakthrough that we had in simulation is that um, in, in in-game predicting, so the game is happening. And in in the betting markets and not everything I did had had much to do with betting, but of course there was a huge application to risk in betting markets to what I did. And, um, but in the his, history of how to set uh, in-game like betting lines, meaning like you can bet on whether a team's going to win by 10 when they're currently winning by nine, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. The lines were always set based off empirical evidence, meaning that If a team is up nine in the entire history of the game, when the home team is up nine points with like two minutes left to go in the third quarter, how often does that team go on to win? And my take to that would be, who cares? (laughs) Because all that matters. That's not the so what. (laughs) Exactly. All that matters. Yeah, that's so that Answer has nothing to do with well, the problem. that. Is
0: so applicable to the way we set risk acceptance it's, and risk price.
1: You're connecting the right dots. You're exactly <laughs> because that's how historically we've gone about setting things. Which says like, okay, this is a plumber. What do plumbers look like? No, this is a plumber in Texas with three employees who works on these yes. kinds of things and that. And so, if I'm going to abuse this 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 example analogy that I mentioned, if the Bucks are up nine points against the Celtics with Giannis, their best player, two-time MVP, they're far more likely to win by 10 or more points by the end of the game than if they don't have him. <laughs> and right. like that's the most critical thing is the players themselves. And the most critical piece to knowing um, what's going to happen in a, a commercial risk or really any kind of risk is knowing what the actual components are of it. And, and again, I know that this is not a visual medium, but you were while you were talking. I wanted to point you to something behind me, and it was an example of a box plot of exactly how our historical characteristics of risk kind of compare to knowing the actual attributes of risk. And it, you can see, and I know again, nobody can see yeah. this, but you can see like every little individual point is its own point, and yet. We historically have only really paid attention to where they converge, or where the median, or the middle, or the the average is, not the actual components themselves. And so, what we did, we what, ultimately, what I ended up doing in the in the sports market was I sold that off. And every I can't bet, oh, I can't bet in a lot of places. Period, because of my background uh, when it comes to sports. <laughs> But I can't. I, so I you're a good uh, person
0: to take to Vegas. I'm yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but like I have to stay in like the hotel and not go to the sports. Yeah, box.
0: exactly? You're not allowed <laughs> on the floor. <laughs>
1: Which is true. Uh, I'm allowed on the floor, but not in the sports book, or at least not to make a bet in the sports book. I can watch the game, but. Um, but, but the, we, sold, we sold off the technology to a conglomerate of sportsbooks, actually, and now they white-labeled our technology. And this technology sets the in-game lines by simulating, okay, with this weather and this crowd and, and these referees and these players all healthy in this situation, yeah. what's the expectation for the rest of the game? And, and that's now how all the lines are set. And it's exactly, as you've already connected the dots on, it's exactly what we're now doing at Code Read. All I care about is that risk what's i right. want to i want to know as much as possible as quickly as possible as uh, everything that i can about that risk and i want to determine what actually matters in assessing the likelihood of a, of a claim and the the perceived distribution of severities in that claim as well
0: so totally agree with you by the way and this is the part the aspect of historical big data that hasn't driven the value, and I saw it in geospatial, I saw it, you know, I see it applied to NACCAD, I see it applied to risk. I see, you know, I I saw it like from a large quant perspective at at a reinsurer level with life and health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it always comes back to how do we get specific enough but then correlate that And and and, you know, we can talk about digital and, you know, what data we could get access to, what data we could store, you know, from the data perspective, what data we could process, you know, less is more. Everything had a cost to it to creating relational models and all these things. Like, we can geek out on all that. But how are you thinking about the advent and application of AI to helping? I'll call expedite and make this more of an effective, efficient, commoditized capability.
1: For for this problem, there's two. Very clear ways that I think of AI. Um, one of them is helping to get data and get information. Uh, you know, one, of the, the, one of the obviously with large language models, um,
0: right? Key, Which I think is so important.
1: <laughs> yeah, the key is large. <laughs> so, like we've already like got, <laughs> yeah, there well, yeah, and that too. But right, but like with large uh, language models, like the 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 hyper focus on the word large means that we've already got like a. Um, these existing data sets for lack of a better term, but that's what large and model have to do with of, of what, what think, what business in our case businesses, but what anything looks like. And they're getting, they're, they're being worked on by all of us or most of us pretty much all the time. Sometimes with with us knowing sometimes with us not. And so our ability to leverage the existing large language models initially to help bring that data in-house is kind of step one right? It is trying to figure out like, what can we learn about this risk that we don't need nor want to get from the agent or the policyholder? I'd rather, I'd rather be able to get that as close to the source of truth as possible, but not from the source of truth. If that makes sense, not from the individual, because I want it to be, I want it to come through with a a very clean lens. Um, so we do use AI. We use some of the large language models to, to help us with that. And we've gotten really good at, um, kind of writing prompts and, and, uh, querying against, um, you know, the models that exist, uh, to plug directly in so that we're gathering gathering that information. Um, the other thing with AI that I think is really valuable is this kind of fundamental assumption that, that not everything's linear and not everything's independent. Um, and, uh, um, and, and I, I love that because, you, you just kind of – I think you alluded to this in what you were saying, and, and I had a whole conversation with this with um, some other people who are working in the AI space and insurance yesterday. Um, they were saying like, yeah, uh, a house with a wood roof in California is not enough information to know the impact of that roof. If it's in you – yeah, know, if it's a wood roof and it's in L.A. in the middle of a, you know urban area where there's very little concern of any kind of wildfire, it's probably totally fine. But if it's right in the path of a potential or likely future wildfire, that's a totally different thing, even though that the only thing that changed is where it exists within a state. And, right. and so uh, the point on that is um, that's the nonlinear, like it matter All of the things together kind of matter. And the, the different machine. It's machines a web. web. An exactly. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And so using things like. They used to be called neural nets, you know, or Mm -hmm. random forests and, you know, gradient boosted machines. There's all these different words that are kind of mean the same thing. They're all ultimately trying to replicate what our minds and our brains are trying to do as well. When you really think of like what a neural net is and what AI is, that's the whole point of AI is that it's supposed to replicate intelligence and and ultimately um, process things without the bias that we add into into, uh, our decision making. Um, I used to say this all the time, like, when I think of AI, I think of like the greatest coaches of all time in sports or the greatest poker players of all time, because what AI helps us do is like the guys who are great historically um, have just played so many hands or seen so much film or, you know, they've underwritten so many policies and they've lived 40 years in insurance, you know, whatever the case may be, who are the experts in their fields who are the best at this? It's, it's repetition. Well, how do we speed that up? And that's what AI is. Right. It speeds it up, removes some of the bias, and allows us to really understand when every piece comes together, what's the expectation? Rather than saying, like, this piece means this thing, and this right. piece means which this thing. Which is what
0: thing, we had to do before.
1: Which is what we had to do before, exactly.
0: We, we, we really, in fairness, I mean, I'm very critical about the industry, but I love the industry, and I'm a very much the, sure. the like yeah. evangelical champion. But I, I always used to say, I use this word a lot this phrase. I say it's insultingly intelligent. So what we did was we we couldn't take it beyond where it was because we didn't have the capabilities, et cetera. But what happened, and I would love to ask you about your philosophy on this, yeah. is when the capabilities started coming like out, and, and I think of like data strategy, digital strategy, AI strategy, innovation strategy, mm-hmm. tech strategy, you know, like, insert the word, We took what we had and we tried to make it like incrementally better. But the problem was we didn't think about this new mesh neural capability. So we didn't redesign the processes themselves. So we just, that's why I say insultingly intelligent. We made what we did a little bit better, but sadly for the tools we were using and for the people we were asking to bring these new things in, it wasn't what we should have been doing. So how do you think about that? In particular, this is my point about like the hype of AI. AI will be nothing more than a little shiny disco ball that the CEO and the stockholders signed the little light on and said, make it spin. If we don't think about this differently, like it can't be the way we approached, hey, we can go digital. Like we've got, it's, it's, it's a lot more power. It requires a lot more, um, in my mind, paying homage to the strategic thinking. And you mentioned it even with prompt engineering. Like, you have got to really understand what you're asking it to do, what you want it to do. So how do you think about that in your role? Yeah,
1: this this all falls in line with a so what. Um, And uh, I really... What, from what I've seen from the industry thus far, I think this is some of the benefit of insuretechs, and I think everybody to some degree should be rooting for insuretechs um, because we get to make it up as we go. And um, I don't want insuretechs to fail, but when they do, the the there there is winning that does happen at the legacy carrier world because they didn't make the same mistakes and they get to learn from what failed. And there's the adverse selection that comes with that. And then when they succeed, then insuretechs they get to just kind of make them up as we go. They They can, and if they win, and when we win, and when Coterie has at least hopefully so far done some winning, um, you know, we're helping to pave the path for what things could look like in the future. But what we're doing is starting with the fundamental, like, how should this best be done? And so I think uh, an example, again, that I talked about recently, or that I I shared with some colleagues recently that that fits perfectly to what you said is like, yes, we could use AI to better understand the age of a building or the age of a roof, but... Because we've, because we've always needed to know those things, but does those matter? (laughs) Like, like let's start with the fundamental, like all, like what we're trying to, like, what's the real problem we're we're trying to solve? And all this goes back to the, so what I used to, um, in my consulting life, I used to run a, a session every Tuesday morning with the entire company. Um, you know, 10 to 12 was not huge, but I, and it, it was a different problem and usually something that had nothing to do with what we were working on. And we would always start backwards and we would say, what's the impact we're trying to have? What's the, what's the problem then based off the impact we're trying to have, what's the real problem we're solving? What's like, what's the data that we might have that alludes to that? And then what is the math or the approach or whatever that we can? And most people tend to start the other way around. They say like, what's the data or like, what's my day to day? As opposed to like, what's the real impact or what's the real problem we're trying to solve? If you start with that, and for us, like, to me, it's not even, and I'm going to get really in the weeds with the insurance right here, but it's, to me, you're not even actually just solving loss ratio or combined ratio. I want to know LTV. Like, I want to know, like, Inclusive of likelihood to cancel, inclusive of like of how long this policy is going to exist on my books, inclusive of my servicing costs, inclusive of claims costs, the claims themselves, our costs to underwrite, which are relatively low because we automate everything. It's 100% digital underwriting. What does this policy mean to me? What's my expectation at the very beginning when I'm quoting this? What do I really think this is going to be worth to me? And solving that problem is very different than okay, now a claim has come in. What do I do to mitigate it? Or, okay, okay, bad risk. I'm supposed to get bad risk off my books. So what does that mean? Like the when you're right. solving the big- That's what stuff. I call
0: fragmented point yeah. solution. Right. And you and can think of that in a sports analogy as taking one game, not in context of a whole season or like whatever. But the thing that drives me bonkers and, and I'm so vocal about this, and almost to the point where I'm like, Stop using it as a claims solution or an underwriting solution. And then I get people saying, are you saying it shouldn't be used for claims? I'm like, no. <laughs> what I'm saying is, and, sa- you know, I'm just going to call it like it is. fall. If you only go in saying, I'm going to use it for this, you miss the so what? You miss the macro problem that you're actually trying to solve. So then you're not harnessing it the right way. You're not designing the strategy the right way. You're not designing the AI operating model, all the the prompt engineering, all the things you need to be thinking about. And so I really think about, and maybe my call to action, I'd love to know yours, because I think people get lost in this and they're like, but I've got to deploy it. Like, yeah, you have to deploy it to a specific, yes, yes, you've got to get down there. But my call to action is, and I, I want to know yours, mine is think about it at an enterprise level. It is not a tool that's a spark plug. It has to be used like at an enterprise level. And then the cascading down is like the showering down of how does that fulfill multiple needs across your entire value chain? What would your call to action be for our listeners? I'm uh, curious.
1: So I'm going to agree with that and I'll, I'll add a piece to the end. Um, so I, I'll, I'll give you the the recent experience that I've had with this. So everybody, you know, we talked early and we teased it. You know the the three kind of fundamental pieces of of what we do as an MGA: are service, claim, servicing the policies and the, and the agent, uh, helping them claims and um, and underwriting. Um, and I view those all uh, well, yeah. So those are all things. And every and we've done. We recently you know went through a, a raise of around. And in a really hard market, and we're getting reinsurance capacity in a very hard market. And uh, I mean that both the literal hard market term, but also figuratively, it was very difficult. But every single one of those conversations, when they got to me in diligence, would say, what's your plan for using AI in servicing? What's your plan for using AI in claims? And what's your plan for using AI in underwriting? And I have slides for that, and there's bullet points, and there's a lot of jargon, and it's probably the same things that you fight against and annoy you every single day, and they kind of annoy me as well. I would – at some point in every one of those conversations with every – the investors or you know carriers, reinsurers, whatever the case may be, exactly the conversation, every one of those conversations, I would say wait. It's not a claim solution. I'm, so this is almost verbatim what you said. I would say it's not a claim solution. <laughs> and we've
0: never had this conversation before.
1: <laughs> I know. It's not underwriting. It's we need to know the most. We want to know the most about a risk that we possibly can as quickly as we can. Because speed does matter when you're talking about agent's time. And we're interacting with agents first and foremost for all of this. As much as we can, as quickly as we can. And we need to leverage that to inform us about all of those things. So that we have the same breadth of information to aid our servicing, to aid our underwriting, and aid our claims as though they're all interconnected, because they are, because at an enterprise level, which is what you said, um, I don't understand decoupling those things. They are all linked. You have to, like, it's so much easier to manage claims if you have an expectation of what the policy's likelihood of a claim is at the very beginning, you know, and as opposed to just waiting till a claim shows up and then figuring it out. Or even we do real-time, like, weather and cat stuff. Like, knowing yep. what's about to come in is also very helpful as well. So they're all linked to me. I would go one step further and say the part where – um conversations the part where the, the gap actually is and this is the CTO hat in me now the gap in in innovation ultimately tends to be buy-in and execution it's not necessarily like is this a good idea or a bad idea or well, it's is the whole company aligned on this and and I will tell you uh, probably the most fortunate thing about my entire role is that, you know, we have C-suite and investor buy-in that says enterprise level is where we're focusing for this. And so if you don't have that, and if you don't, if that doesn't persist throughout the organization, and usually from the top down, though it's important that everybody's got bored, um, it's very difficult to implement. Yeah something new, period, let alone something that's so new that it needs to be considered for literally everything that you do. I mean, we also, we don't talk about it much or we don't, it's not the nature of today's conversation, but we use open AI or some kind of generative AI for, you know, job description writing and content. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of ways we're using it that's the yes. enterprise level, but execution is, and buy-in is ultimately where the failure tends to occur in innovation. Um, cause there's some really great ideas out there and I'd like to say, like to think we have one of them, but it doesn't mean anything unless it actually is, exists within what we're trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah. My word of the year this year was applied or executable. So like yeah. if we can't get it from the whiteboard or from the PowerPoint or from the Figma screen or whatever it is into the organic DNA of our processing in our organizations, then it's hyperbole.
1: And let's, We've let's, got
0: to get it in.
1: Let me see if I can tie this all together then, because I talked about the box score at the beginning. I'm, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a data nerd. I'm an innovator. I live in that that class of people who is always thinking three plus years out. And that's just where I naturally live, right? I'm bullish on on the advantage of telematics. I, in every consulting conversation I've ever had if somebody said what data you need I would say all of it and I tell every one of our vendors that too I don't like if yeah. our vendor puts their own threshold of their confidence on it and like holds something back just give me everything you have but yeah. we're still figuring out the box score and to, to the point that you just mentioned if we were running at telematics right now if we were running at something that was so deep and so difficult to, to both extract and ascertain the value of Today, we wouldn't be able to do anything that we're trying to accomplish. We would have to wait years to really figure out the value of some of that, like, really robust data. Some cool stuff out there. You know, I I worked, did a little bit of consulting in the manufacturing space. You can get a lot of, and that's commercial insurance is very applicable to the manufacturing space. You get some really cool information, like, by the second on every machine at all times none of that matters if, it, if you can't really execute on it and none of it's going to matter for years, if not decades, if we can't get the box score right.
0: Yeah. And I think that that, like, as we, as we wrap up, Paul, like such a, first of all, it, I didn't know we had so much in common. <laughs> it's just so amazing. And yeah. I tell everyone, I'm like, we don't usually meet much beforehand in this case. Like, and Definitely. it's, it's Definitely. just like the thing that's inspiring to me is, and I usually have a brick wall behind me, but today I know, you know, I spent years feeling this like beating my head against a brick wall. Why don't people understand it? And I just think it's so inspiring to see the not only the momentum, but to see the people like yourself saying, I practically see it. I have this skill sets to apply it. I, you know, we all come from different backgrounds on the conceptual analogy of how we get the box score. How we get this in and how we use these tools is so important. So I'd love to leave our audience with this one question. And I say it to everyone. Let's pretend like someone's out on their walk or their morning jog and they've listened to nothing. They fast forward to the They're like, okay, I want to hear the wrap up from Paul. What would you want them to leave this knowing that you like, like you're like, this is my like nugget of wisdom. Like, what do you want them to like say? Write this down.
1: Yep. Um, I'm going to go back to my, the, the true tenets of my, my philosophy and my, and how I think, and I've, I've articulated both of them already. Um, and, and then I'll, I'll unpack them just a little bit more based off this conversation. The two things are no, find the, so what, think about the impact and the problem you're solving and the real change or the real impact you're having first and, and work backwards from that. Nothing matters without, so what, and context is King when it comes to data or technology or anything. Um, and so simply implementing something um doesn't mean anything if you don't <laughs> kind of know what you're trying to achieve in doing it. Um or at least what you yeah, what you're trying to achieve. Well, you know, the execution is is obviously ultimately where, where you see that. Um and automation is the key to scale. It is, it's true. Um and so if you're not thinking about different processes or different places in which uh, technology, um, and it doesn't have to be the most sophisticated thing. We've, we've got a whole lot of low hanging fruit automation exercises that no one would characterize as AI <laughs> that are going to help us out a whole lot. <laughs> or even just, you know, standardization of practices helps us out a whole lot. Like there's a lot of different ways you can get closer to like automation and, and it don't have to mean that you're doing the, the most technical thing. Uh, but automation is the key to scale and find the so what are my, are my two big tenets. I'm going to then though, wrap this all up with, um, with what, what you've been saying and it's, but it's exactly how I think as well. And that is in terms of thinking about how one can improve, how an organization can improve, even an individual don't compartmentalize <laughs> because just because things have been compartmentalized in the past doesn't mean that they aren't linked and anything that is, is ultimately that feels linked or correlated, um, needs to be thought about as an enterprise level solution. And I love that you, the way you phrase all of that. So I'm totally stealing you, your words on that. Um, but it, it, those kind of three pieces and really the first two go together to make uh, of the the one that you were getting at about thinking about this at an enterprise level. Um, but I, I think that's, that's the right way to go about thinking about this problem.
0: Well, I have enjoyed this conversation so much, Paul. I can't, Wait to have more exposure to all the things that you're doing. Um, yeah, I just can't can't wait to continue to follow along. And thank you so much for being a guest today and sharing like your lens with our audience. I hope they watch basketball with a new lens. <laughs> and that when they're watching that basketball, they're thinking about all the underwriting of that small commercial risk. <laughs> so thank that's you for giving it. us that visual. <laughs> my yeah, my, it's my, it's my NBA watching will have new 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 rounds. I love it. Thank you so much. This episode of Insurance Unplugged was brought to you by Expert.ai. With Expert.ai's hybrid AI approach, the symbolic AI, machine learning, and LLMs are combined to bring the level of understanding and insight offered by an experienced claims professional at scale across an organization. Join us next week as we continue our discussion on Insurance Unplugged. Uncovering all the behind the scenes, AI in the city, sponsored by expert.ai.